Good evening, Jackman Radio fans, supporters, and friends all around the world. I get messages from people all over the world. I'm your host, Eric Jackman, doing a solo episode tonight. Uh, Mike's my twin brother. He's taking the night off. But I am psyched to be joined by this gentleman, Mr. Chris Graves. Uh, He is the host of Get Mad with Chris Graves on the Ocelli Network. Did I say that right, Chris? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's perfect. Ocelli.com, yeah. <laughs> Ocelli.com, and we'll show that stuff. Uh, Chris, how you doing tonight, man? Hey, I, I'm doing pretty good, uh, pretty well, and I'm honored to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, I was chatting with Chris uh, before we went live, and he came uh, to my attention last week. I was uh, closing out a work week. I got myself a nice turkey and cheese sub to treat myself on Friday. And I'm like, I'm going to do some kind of fun podcast tonight. I'm going to watch and just, you know, let loose. And I'm like, I haven't watched tinfoil hat with Sam Tripoli in a while. So I wanted to see what he was up to. So I went to Sam's Twitter and he said, uh, you know, his guest for that night or that re- most recent episode was, this was you, Chris, a guy named Chris Graves. And they were talking about Columbine, uh, Courtney loves father, his connections, um, and some stuff that you don't really see a lot of people in the alternate independent media talk about stuff that I'm certainly interested in. And I've looked at a little bit and, and have talked about a little bit, but, um, I perked right up when I saw that you guys were talking about that. So I'm like, well, I'm going to watch this, take some notes, and then hopefully I can get in touch with this guy. And then I hit you up on Twitter and, uh, responded and, and here we are tonight. So I guess, you know, to get started, uh, Chris, just tell Uh, the audience a little bit about who you are and and how you kind of got into this world of podcasting and researching and becoming a writer. Well, uh, well, first of all, with uh, conspiracies and things like that, um, I was, you know, I, nothing too, uh, nothing too intricate, like UFOs, like back in the nineties. Not really JFK. Uh, I mean, I had heard rumors that there was this video turned out to be the Zapruder film and people even in my junior high were talking about oh do you know that the driver turned around and shot him like I I kept hearing this whole thing and uh that was a theory for a while I don't think that's the case anymore um but it was interesting though uh and then I think with Kurt Cobain like I was a big uh, grunge fan or a fan in uh you know heavy metal hard rock in in junior high and high school so when he died um I started following that fairly close to when it actually occurred in 1994. I'd say about maybe a year later, I found out about a guy named uh, a private investigator named Tom Grant. Um, He was hired by Courtney Love uh, to find Kurt when he actually didn't need to be found because apparently she already knew where Kurt was. So there's a lot of weird stuff uh, about that. Uh, And then, of course, later on, Columbine uh, happened. But at the time, I didn't really think it there was anything weird about it other than being a tragedy um and what they told us and everything but the one that really got me going was 9-11 like right on the day because uh, i remember when there were explosions going off and uh first responders and reporters and people talking about you know these these bombs going off or it, just explosions and stuff i uh foolishly thought that we were going to find out that whoever flew the planes somehow got access to the buildings before 9-11 you know i thought that that was going to be a part of the story like somehow they they got access to uh planting explosives all throughout the twin towers that never happened like 
after the first day, day and a half, they never brought up the explosions and all that ever again for about a year and a half. And then people like Alex Jones and others, they started uh, showing footage on the Internet of, you know, all these people saying these things on the day. And it made me remember like, oh, yeah, that's right. And I just always had a weird feeling about it anyway. Um, but, yeah, 9-11 would be the one. Uh, I know it changed a lot of people's lives, rightfully so. And, uh, yeah, so I think from there on, I went and dug into the past, like, uh, with JFK Jr. I studied that one pretty, pretty well, uh, Columbine. I found out like a lot of the witnesses said there were up to eight to 10 shooters, including cops, like on the day, like in the local media, especially. And they thought it was actually a terrorist attack at first. That's why they didn't want to storm the high school. That story went away. Um, yeah, and Kirk Cobain and TWA 800, too, I looked into because I had heard uh, that there were videos being shown on the night that it came down, that plane came down, that there were videos shown on various uh, cable and uh, New York local news stations that showed a missile going up and hitting and taking out the plane. But those videos all got wiped away, and I was fascinated. Like, not fascinating. That's the people a lot of people died i i was drawn into the this idea that they could you know who could you know the the power in like being able to take all these videos and like basically telling thousands of people that saw it on tv that they didn't see what they saw like for some reason there was an air of mystery to to that so i started looking into that aspect of twa because i know there were a, a lot of witnesses like in person that saw streaks of light coming up off off the right. uh, land and water but yeah uh and then later on uh, i'm making this very long i apologize oh um, no, man it's your background I, you know the stuff that fascinates us and yeah i mean it's going basically uh, with the lockdown and everything i i'd say about maybe a year or two before that i uh, got in contact with an author by the name of donald jeffries he wrote books like Hidden History and uh, Crimes and Cover-Ups, Survival of the Richest. Uh, he's pretty well known in like alternative media. He has his own show. Um, so I started kind of doing research for him uh, for his later on, uh, his his more modern day books, you know, not the original ones, and trying to get guests for his show, I Protest. And we became really, really good friends. And ever since, uh, it kind of like uh, opened up other opportunities for me, like doing my own uh, show or, uh, yeah, basically uh, being a guest on people like yourself, like on shows like this. So, yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm I'm 36. I'll be 37 this year. So, you know, I'm very much a child of the 9-11 generation. I was a freshman yeah. in high school when that happened. So obviously I remember it vividly. And, you know, even before that, I was interested in the Kennedy assassination and Cold War history, Cuban Missile Crisis and that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's only after you get out of school for a while and you can kind of start to think for yourself that you realize the stuff that we're taught in school and even in college is yeah. such a departure from the actual reality of, of what happened with this stuff and these big events. And you're just you're just given a tiny superficial snapshot of these big kind of events and then that's it. Move on to the next thing. And well, you know, mainstream history is written by the victors, right? Yeah, it's it's written and framed by exactly the people who come out on top and actually yeah. have the ability and, and the resources and the power to shape the perception of our history. So, 
even getting to a point where you can understand that and recognize that and realize that I think is a triumph and a victory in of itself. But it's then, overwhelming at first, but eventually there's a calming a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it, it is overwhelming. And, you know, 9-11, I, I was very suspicious of it, um, you know, especially leading up to Iraq when you saw the guys in power, the neocons and the PNAC group, the Project for New American Century group, yeah. uh, pushing the drumbeat for war with Iraq and wanting to tie 9-11 in with Saddam Hussein and saying there was a connection and now they he's got weapons. They, they used, uh, well, when I say they, and the anthrax uh, letter attacks and the DC sniper was lumped in with all that, that fear going on. Yeah, people, people, exactly, man. People forget about anthrax. They, they, they forget that that happened and what that was all about. And that helped that, get the Patriot Act signed in overnight. Scared oh, everybody. Yeah. Oh, fear, man. It was, it was totally fear. And I honestly had not seen that level of overall proliferated fear in our country, in the world, in media, uh, leading up to, uh, I call COVID the flu world order, leading up to that. I hadn't seen that since Iraq and 9-11. And then they ratcheted up a thousandfold for COVID. Those are connected too. And, yeah. And, and Even the Boston year. bombing was kind of a beta test for the lockdown. Stay yeah. home, you know? Yeah. So after, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the bombing. After after I watched you on uh, Sam Tripoli um, and we talked a little bit about Dave McGowan, I, I dug up Dave McGowan on Caravan to Midnight with John B. Wells talking yeah. about the Boston Marathon. And I guess, I don't think I realized that McGowan had done so much digging and, and research before he died on the Boston Marathon bombing. So Probably what got him killed. Like people um, close to him think that too. Yeah, people say he was killed, and then his daughter said he wasn't really the healthiest guy. Like he smoked cigarettes, and the rest of the family. Well, yeah, let's say the re the rest of the family are not really on board with some of the other relatives. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, it's probably like anything, man. You know, people yeah. in a fa people in a family agree and disagree on things. I mean, you look at Robert. Some don't, yeah, some people don't want to uh, even be open to that idea. And why would you? You know. Yeah, entertain the fact that you know in America, your dad, who was just a normal construction researcher, work. yeah, he had his own construction thing. Yeah, yeah, construction. And I, I mentioned to you, uh, McGowan reminded me a lot of, like my uncles because they're like contractors, they're builders, um, yeah. really brilliant. Um, creative guys to play music, but they're also deep researchers and they had a really big hand in, in kind of framing, you know, the questioning of things when I was a kid, you know, my uncle telling me about JFK and like, oh, yeah. what you're hearing in school is bullshit, man. That's, that's not what happened in that. Wow. Kind of you know, a lot of people, uh, people are going to think like when I say that you're very lucky because uh, they're probably going to think I'm nuts, but like, no, you're very lucky that you had uh, adult figures like that, that were uh, being totally open and, and honest with the MO, like our history. Yeah. That's, I, that's I, I, it is, man. I do feel fortunate because there, there was one, um, these are my dad's brothers and my dad uh, passed away. Saturday will be six years. He's been gone, but he was very much like that too. He looked deeply into things um, and they, they're all from Canada originally. So there was that half of them that were like into deep esoteric knowledge and research yeah. and they were builders and contractors and created things, but also they played hockey and like they had a balance, they had a balance with the two. Things. Those are the those are the respectable people. My, my, they got their hands dirty. They went to work. You know, they manual labor. Did they yeah. work? If you don't mind me asking, did they work for themselves? Like, yeah, that, oh, the, all all self employed. Awesome. So yeah, my dad and his brothers had a wood woodworking company uh, in the seventies that they built furniture for people, That's and uh, awesome. they were based out of Farnsworth Street in Boston, and then they were in Hudson, Mass. 
and they had a big woodworking company and it was my dad and his uh, five brothers. And so they're always, you know, always have been in business for themselves, never had a boss. Um, so when I see, like, when I first encountered Dave McGowan, I just instantly kind of felt yeah. a, uh, a kinship to him and like a connection to, to just his essence and his energy yeah. and his, his just his plain speak and his fearlessness about major events. Yeah. And he, he did all that. Like we were just saying, like he had his own construction business. <laughs> he did all of that research like at night, like on his own right. as a hobby. Yeah. I just, I just picture him either. I just picture him on the job site, like banging nails. And then on his lunch break, he's got a sandwich and he's reading about the moon landing. <laughs> yeah. Like, those, those ones are waiting to be able to focus the camera and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. All right. His, yeah. yeah his, his, his most humorous work was wagging the moon doggy. I have, about, yeah, I haven't delved into that yet. Oh, I'll, you're I'll, enjoy I'll be it. honest, man. It, like with conspiracies and stuff, I know the moon landing is like a, a big one, and I, I haven't gone too deep in it. Um, I haven't you, really, but except for with him, it, that actually pulled me in more because he made sense. Like he pointed out how ridiculous a lot of this is, like because people don't just sit back and think about it, like and like he did. He dissected the whole thing. He used their NASA's own uh, pictures, and you're gonna enjoy it. I have a feeling. <laughs> Yeah. Um, have you heard of Alex Stein, Primetime 99? I My friend Donald Jeffries on his show. He's had oh. him on twice now, I think. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So I've had him on the show, and he's, like, really big into the moon landing. Like, he had Bart Sibrel on. Sibrel, and also Donald had him on. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. So you know all these guys. Oh, um, yeah. So I've looked at some of their stuff. Like I haven't, I haven't gone too deep into the moon landing stuff, but um, with, with Buzz Aldrin punching uh, Sabrell, I think, uh, in the film. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Swear on this Bible. Swear that on the you Bible. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, man, it, it uh, the way how crazy things are. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't happen. You know, I don't know. I, I need to look more into it. I'm I'm open to checking it out and having a having a laugh and researching it. Well, like the flat Earth stuff, I don't make fun of people that are into the flat. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. We've been lied to so many that's, times. I that's don't it. Know. That's it, Chris. I'm not in the business of mocking people or belittling people's intelligence because yeah. they're willing to, they're willing to look at something and entertain something because. It's just been proven time and time again that we are lied to about literally everything in our lives. From right. our, the, the yeah. moment we're born, we're put in front of a TV screen, and everything that came out of that TV screen and was beamed at us into our face That's was right. bullshit. Was bullshit. Basically, yeah. And, and now with the internet age, uh, now they can come at us from all kinds of angles. You know, back yeah. then it was just the radio waves and the, the boob tube, as it was called back in the day. Yeah, yeah, man. So it's and and you think about like some of the the, the figures, the skulls, uh, the actors like Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise, and we've yeah. been. I, I say this with my brother when we go just to unplug and go enjoy a movie. Um, Hard right? to know when you find out these people, you know. Well, yeah. When when well, that's it. So when you you go, Tom Hanks won't hurt. I, I <laughs> haven't heard. I'm not kidding. Yeah, the Hank, the Hank stuff uh, is interesting. That that gal there, Sarah Ruth Ashcraft, accused him of of uh, yeah. you know abusing her as a child um and there was never really any follow-up on that or anything but um 
No, you're looking at Tom Hanks a little bit. There's some suspect stuff there. But the point I was making, you know, we go into these these big movies like I'll, I'll admit it, man. I really enjoy on an entertainment value factor. I enjoyed the new Top Gun this past year. It was it yeah. was entertaining. It was loud. I know it was just pure propaganda, pure militarism, you know, jerking off the military industrial complex and recruiting I'm for the. Ram- I'm a fan of the Rambo movies. So I'm. Oh, a yeah. Yeah. So you, you can. So like I spoke about, like being able to separate things and have balance in your life. Yeah. So when you, when you do go deep into this stuff and do research it and go really, really into it. Um, it's easy to have that ruin everything, like literally yeah. ruin, suck all the joy and happiness out of your life exactly. and and yeah. ruin everything. And like it did that for, you know, we call it bread and circus. It did that for bread and circus for many years in my life. Like for many years, I was like, oh, you know, going to a hockey game is stupid. Even though I grew up on the ice, I grew up playing. It was something I inherited. My dad passed down to me. He taught me how to play. I used to go to games with him, you know, the Boston Bruins. Um, But then you just like realize all of that. It doesn't really mean anything. And it's just a child sport being played by grown men who are being paid millions of dollars. And it's just all advertisements for uh, Anheuser-Busch, Budweiser and the pharmaceutical companies. That's how I feel about it. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, it it ruins it. In my opinion, out of all of them, I can't stand any (laughs) of the other ones. Well, I'm I'm with you on that, Chris. I'm biased on that. But um, so for years, it kind of ruined it for me. And I was just kind of like a Debbie Downer about it. But, you know, I'm working on balance on that. So I've gone to a couple Bruins games this year. I sat two rows back. I went a couple weeks ago and I just I let go of everything for a few hours and I just enjoyed the game. Just was there drink. was there a moment, if you don't mind me asking, that made you kind of like tore that apart for you? That made you kind of feel that way? Well, when you're when you're so deep into researching uh, conspiracies oh, and okay. the, the the horrible shit that the the predator class does right. to the people and, and what they get away with, um, the hockey it, game it, does, it just doesn't seem like it's important. Right. Well, you're, you're like, well, this is this is stupid. The, the, yeah. At its core, it's, it's a child sport that men are, adult men are playing. But the reality of it is it's a multi-billion dollar racket in an industry. Yeah. You know, a beer is $20, a ticket's $200, parking's $50, a hot dog's $20. You know, it, it's it's just, this is just uh, mindless yeah. consumption. To let down. Yeah. yeah. Same with the music for me, too. Like, I used to go to concerts all the time. Yeah. COVID didn't help, but before that it was even too expensive, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it just, it it ruined it for a while, but then finally I'm like, you know what? I have to still enjoy things in life and not look at everything through the lens as of this is just part of an agenda. This is just meant to distract us. We need to keep focusing on what's really going on because you just get caught in that loop and you keep doing that continuously. You're going to be a miserable person. I mean, you have to have a sense of humor too. That's why my humor is like kind of dark. You know what I mean? Oh oh, yeah. Not kind of, it's pitch black. (laughs) But you have to, because it's kind of like, I'm not, I'm not equating myself to like a a policeman or a soldier, but that kind of gallows humor uh, to be able to deal with things, horrible things, you know? Yeah. Oh, humor is humor is the only way to deal with it. Yeah, and making fu- making fun of it, and because you know that's really what we have at the end of the day. It's our uh, our freedom of thought and our elevating our consciousness, and then just making fun of the powerful. Because as long you know, as we still have that, so far. yeah, I'm not <laughs> I'm not uh, I'm not into violence, and you get you go into violence that plays right into their hand. 
Oh yeah, no, yeah, violence is horrible. Yeah, no, I mean like, uh, how long are we going to have our free thoughts? <laughs> I oh. hate saying it like that, but like, and then you got like Neuralink being proposed. Uh, uh, yeah, Alex oh. Jones is like, let's, let's talk about Neuralink too. Uh, Neuralink and the gay frogs. The gay frogs yeah. are going to have the Neuralink. You know? Gay frogs and Neuralink. It's the Capri Sun. The <laughs> <laughs> Capri Sun. Yeah, I but um, yeah, I got the documents, Chris, Infowars.com. But um. <laughs> Yeah, so we still yeah. we, we have to have balance and still enjoy things, but I think it, it's it's important to always you know look behind the facade, yeah, um, of what is presented to us. So McGowan certainly did that. So he's um, actually, I really do feel like he's the first nine eleven truther on nine twelve. He had the, basically the whole story out the next day on his website. He broke it down like all the what didn't make sense, what you know, all the reporting that was different that didn't add up, and it was nine twelve. Like you go back on his website, Center for an Informed America, CIA. See, he had a sense of humor right there. So yeah. you go on that, you see it, 912. Yeah, it yeah. talks all about uh, going into the tyranny, you know? Yeah, I'll pull up his uh, website right now. He was funny. Yeah, that was the other thing. Like he used humor to deal with these pitch black topics. I mean, he didn't really use the humor too much with, uh, you know, obviously – he had a series called the Ped pedophocracy, which went mm. into hell. Basically he was looking into uh, the pedophile elite pedophile stuff like worldwide before many people actually. Yeah. I think he dug into Dutroux in Belgium. Yes, he did. Yeah. Dutroux affair. And this is yeah. all before Epstein became a household name to your average person. This was like 2000 and 2001, 2002. He was writing about yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, he put a bunch of it in his, his book, Program to Kill. A bunch of that went into that, too. Yeah, there, there, there was a while after reading Program to Kill that I regretted reading that book. It's, it's, <laughs> that one, he didn't use humor too much, because, like, how how you? you know? Dark shit, man. Yeah. And if, if it really is close to what he was saying... Yeah. Well, <laughs> I know you, you wonder about some of the big serial killers and the idea of a serial killer and the sensationalism behind it. And like it, it, it could make sense to you that some of these serial killers who everyone assumed was a lone wolf or it, doing it by themselves, they were part of something bigger. Like a cult almost. They like were involved in a, yeah, yeah, involved in a cult. I mean, Son of Sam, it's basically it's kind of yeah. common knowledge to anyone who will dig a little bit that Berkowitz does not alone in that. They've even done documentaries. They had a task force in New York yeah. about it. Everything. Yeah. The so task that, force got closed quietly, I think. And that yeah, was the, year too. That's wild, man. So the yeah. I think the thing, you know, in alternative media and kind of you know, truth seekers, the yeah. one of the things McGowan's most well known for is his dive into 60s counterculture. Weird scenes inside the canyon. Yeah, yeah. strange but tr but mostly true story of Laurel Canyon and the birth of the hippie generation. So if you had to kind of... Um, you kind of had a similar thing with the serial killer thing, too, that they both were socially engineered things. Like yeah. One was on the anti-war movement with the, the rise of the hippies and the, the acid going out, you know. And then with the serial killer thing, we really, I mean, yeah, throughout history, we had a couple of lone wolves, supposedly, or whatever. Like, you had Jack the Ripper, you had, you know, um, well, I'll say John Wilkes Booth, even though that's kind of iffy now. Um, they won't even dig up his grave to see if it's actually him in it, and his, his family wants it to happen. But they say, oh, no, no, like the state parks or whatever. They're like, no, we can't do that. That's interesting. But anyway, 
Yeah, though the the serial killer phenomenon too. It, it just seems like um, they all started these um, celebrity serial killers started to become a thing in like the '60s, '70s, '80s, and it was like a fear-based mind control, and that's what Dave used to talk about a lot too, that drama. Yeah. yeah. So if you had to kind of summarize uh, his work on Laurel Canyon in the '60s counterculture to someone who wasn't familiar with it, how how would you put that to somebody? Basically, Dave went and he found a, he read a book about um, Laurel Canyon, which is an area in Los Angeles where a lot of um, very interesting and even very powerful and very famous people kind of gra all gravitated towards in the 60s, uh, including movie stars like Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, Jack Nicholson. And then you had a good portion of that was um, the music scene, because prior to that, L.A. wasn't really known uh for its music it was just the movie thing new york in like um uh, what's the one with the country and everything nashville. nashville nashville and new york were known mainly to be the music hubs of the country at the time then all of a sudden you started to hear these bands started popping up in the 60s around laurel canyon in los angeles and they started playing the clubs on the sunset strip and hollywood boulevard and like the doors and everything Anyway, you find out that most of these people, uh, whether it was in Hollywood movies or in the music scene, most of them came from a military brat or a, a military slash intelligence family, like one or the other, or sometimes both, like the parents would be involved in the military or in the alphabet agencies. And it just seemed like they kind of came out of nowhere, this, this whole scene. And some people that didn't have any talent at all were, were getting deals, record deals, and they were getting pushed onto the public. And a lot of the music was kind of, quote, unquote, anti-war, right? And then you really look at some of the lyrics for some of the songs, and that's not the case at all. But it, it created this image of the hippie. And the hippie thing, you know, oh, just drop acid, uh, just drop out, you know. And, oh, hey, man, you know, that whole deal. That wasn't really a thing before. Before it was like the beatniks, you know, things like that, right. like poets and things. And the real anti-war people were the college professors. You know, they're the ones that didn't want to go to Vietnam and everything. And then around that time, this, this whole hippie thing kind of rose out of nowhere. And I'll give you an example. You ever heard of the Gulf of Tonkin incident? Yeah. That's the incident that supposedly never even happened now um, that propelled the America into the Vietnam War where 58,000 Americans died and probably well over a million Vietnamese died. And it was all over an incident that never occurred, apparently, um, because uh, Robert McNamara, uh, who worked under Kennedy at the time, Right before he died, I believe it was 2001, around there, um, he did a book tour where he basically, it was almost like he was making amends or trying to before he died to, to basically, you know, say, I'm sorry, you know, and that this was all basically, it was a lie. It didn't happen, right? And the Gulf of Tonkin incident is supposed to be where North Vietnamese uh, shot upon uh, our boats in the Gulf of Tonkin. Well, the guy... There was a uh, a guy named uh, Admiral um, uh, Morrison. Sorry, I had a, a real brain fart right now. Okay, Admiral, it's been a long week. <laughs> Admiral Morris, Morrison, 
his son was uh, a guy by the name of Jim Morrison of the Doors. Well, Jim Morrison's father was basically in charge of the Gulf of Tonkin incident that never happened that propelled us into the Vietnam War. And his son, who Jim Morrison has said, I don't know how to read music. I don't know how to make, like, I don't know how to do music. All of a sudden he became this, you know, he was actually yeah. a film, film student, actually. Yeah. And he, it was almost as, as if, I'm not saying this is how it went down, but a lot of these bands at the time, the Wrecking Crew band seemed to be behind most of the, the big hits. Right. Yeah, exactly. Is that too convoluted? <laughs> no, man. So, well, that's a great, that's a good example. It's one that I like to tell people about. They have no idea. So Admiral George Stephen Morrison, I got him pulled up here. He lived for a while, 1919 to 2008. He was 89 yeah. when he died. Certainly outlived his son, Jim Morrison. Um, was United States Navy Rear Admiral. He was commander of the U.S. Naval Forces during the Gulf of Tonkin incident in August of 1964, which sparked an escalation of American involvement in the Vietnam War. And he was the father of Jim Morrison, the lead singer of the rock band The Doors, who died on July 3rd, 1971. Yeah. So this is just this is like one big example. And then you got like Frank Zappa, whose <laughs> yeah. father was a chemist at Edgewood Laboratory. Um, in where was that Illinois? Uh, I think, Illinois? yeah, I can look I that was... up. Uh, what was it? There's so many of them, yeah, <laughs> that that you kind of like, but they were basically in charge of uh napalm, I believe, right? Right, yeah, would. So McGowan digs into these players, and um, they all have connections to each other, and, too, and who, yeah, who they were, um you know, how they were connected, who their family was. Yeah. And they were seemingly like clean cut, like good old American boys and people. Cause the year prior, they actually, I think Dave actually found a picture of uh, Jim Morrison, all clean cut <coughs> and on, the, uh, on the ship with his father. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, essentially the, the thesis is that the sixties counterculture was a completely engineered yeah. uh, psyop, you know, created by, military intelligence, intelligence agencies, and they all came around this part uh, of California, Laurel Canyon. And then and, the, to, end it, to end the whole thing, the era, they introduced the uh, poorer version of the MK Ultra type stuff with the Manson family, right? And then you had the Patty Hearst uh, wealthy people that could be also brainwashed, like with the... Uh, you know, with the, her being brainwashed by the, what was it, the Lebanon? Um, Some liberation SLA. movement. Yeah, there's something like, yeah, SLA, I think. Yeah. But it basically, Patty Hearst and Squeaky Fromm, uh, you know, Charlie Manson's uh, right-hand gal or whatever you want to call it, they went to school together. And I didn't even know that. And Dr. Right. Jolly and West, mm -hmm. who just got named by Tucker Carlson the other day. Which I couldn't real. believe he dropped the name Jolly West. Yeah, the Fox rabbit East. hole were... I don't know what the play is here because no one would mention him over the well, years. Well, Jolly, Jolly West uh, was the guy that visited uh, Jack Ruby while he was imprisoned. And, and uh, Gray, Jack Ruby, Sir yeah. Patty Hearst. Yeah. Right. And uh, Jolly West, um, the writer. He was MK Ultra. He was, in he was in charge of a lot of their programs and things. For yeah, well, I'd like to see Tucker expand. 
because yeah, he, he just he, yeah. he dropped the name and That's if you fair. don't know who jo- jolly west is you would you wouldn't know what he was talking you about no yeah um so yeah the, the kind of the synopsis about mcgowan's book weird scenes inside the canyon um the very strange he goes in very different areas so it's really hard like for like an idiot like me to really encapsulate like everything like uh yeah if he goes in there's a, there's a secret military base that was in the Hollywood Hills called Lookout Mountain. Lookout Mountain. Yep. And people like uh, Marilyn Monroe and um, you know famous directors of the time, they all had top secret clearance. So right. what were they doing there? That like the cover was that they were making the uh, the nuclear testing videos. videos. But yeah. do they really need top secret? Like, I, yeah. I think something else was going on there. Maybe they filmed the moon landing stuff there. I don't know. You know, <laughs> if, if that if that you know was fake. Well, I, I love that Jared Leto owned the place he at that point. Now. Yeah, he. he I, oh, I don't know if he still, still does, but okay. um, yeah. So some of uh, so this is from Amazon. Members of bands like the Birds, the Doors, Buffalo Springfield, the Monkees, the Beach yeah. Boys, the Turtles, the Eagles, Frank Zappa, Steppenwolf, Three Dog Night. And singer-songwriters such as Joni Mitchell, Judy Collins, James Taylor, Carol King lived together and jammed together in the bucolic community nestled in the Hollywood Hills. But there was a dark side to that scene as well. Many did not make it out alive, and many of those deaths remain shrouded in mystery to this day. Far more integrated into the scene than most would like to admit was a guy named Charles Manson, along with his murderous entourage. Also floating about the periphery were various political operatives, up-and-coming politicians and intelligence personnel, the same sort of people who gave birth to many of the rock stars populating the canyon. And of all the canyon's colorful characters, rock stars, hippies, murderers, and politicals happily coexisted alongside a covert military installation that you just mentioned. So, you know, <laughs> when, when I think about some of the, the rock stars we learned about, like for, the movie Forrest Gump was like a good pipeline into my generation because, you, you know, they, they yeah. put in all kinds of Americana into that movie. And yeah, John and Yoko on, the, on Dick Cabot with Forrest, you know. Yeah, yeah Abby, Hoffman, Abby Hoffman. Abby Hoffman. Black Panthers. Hay, yeah. Dog Blue, you know. Did he uh, just say that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I must have drank me 15 Dr. Peppers. And, um, <laughs> you know, so like the myth of a 60s icon and, and a rock star as a counterculture figure and the idea of a deadhead. And in this, I think this is a good segue into talking about uh, Courtney Love's father. Hank so Harrison. I know yeah. you, you, you talked a little bit about that with Sam. Um, so I have an, an article here I can share. So yeah, Hank Harrison, was actually yeah, so, the, he was the first manager for the Grateful Dead until they kicked him out, I believe. <laughs> yeah, so he was he was their manager early on, Yeah, which a lot of people, I mean, I, I didn't know that. I mean, I think I knew that from before, but after I heard you talk about it, I'm like, holy shit, that's right, you he know, was. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Uh, they didn't like him too much after, after a while, and uh, I don't know. I mean, there were allegations from Courtney herself, so consider the source, but I guess her yeah. mother as well had said that Hank had given her LSD when she was two, so uh, I don't, mm. you know. Yeah, I mean, look at him there. He look at that picture right there. Yeah. He doesn't look, he doesn't look all there. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't look like he's, like, concerned for, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, in Hanging Around the Grateful Dead, um, they were obviously connected to CIA acid proliferation of the sixties and the acid tests and hate Ashbury yeah. and all that. So it couldn't be, it can't be a stretch that Hank Harrison 
along the way had some kind of CIA connection. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he had a good friend that on his friend's deathbed told him that he did work for the agency and that he actually uh, not only got with Courtney when she was like 17, I think, um, but also gave Courtney a whole lot of LSD to, to you know, spread out when she went to Ireland and England uh, in the right. 80s. And what was the purpose of that? To get, I guess, all the musician types just to... Uh, you know, yeah. to drop out or whatever, you know, kind of like what people have alleged about Yoko Ono, you know, had there's similarities there, you know. Yeah. Um, Yoko claims she didn't know what who the Beatles were. And uh, that's almost impossible. <laughs> well, wasn't wasn't Yoko from like kind of a wealthy Japanese banking family? I had heard that as well. Uh, originally. Yeah. So she was, you know, yeah. an artist and all that. But also there's some money and power and wealth behind that. But um, when she met John, uh, John, like the Beatles were like the biggest thing in the world. But she claimed that when they met at one of her, uh, you know, art gallery exhibits, she had no idea who he was. And it's like, yeah, I think, I think even Paul was like, that's a low, you know, that's a crock. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course, you know who we are. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, because uh, who was the lyricist for the Grateful Dead? Um Oh, who was basically confirmed like a CIA guy? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Let me look that every up. Every time I see the Grateful Dead, I'm always thinking of Jerry. Um, Garcia. I'm not like I, a huge fan of theirs, but I'm not a deadhead at all. I'm not a fish head. I used to know people that were into fish, like Rob. The jam band stuff never did it for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not really big into jam bands. I think it was Robert Hunter. Robert Hunter. Okay. Um, and and okay. Uh, here we go. Around 1962, this is from his Wikipedia, Hunter volunteered for psychedelic chemical experiments at Stanford University, research covertly sponsored by the CIA and its MKUltra program. Other participants included Ken Kesey and Allen Ginsberg. He was yeah. paid to take LSD, psilocybin, and mescaline and then report on his experiences, which were creatively formative for him. After a friend attempted to dissuade him, Hunter said, it'll be fun. I'll take my typewriter and no telling what'll come out. The incident was the first substantial experience of any of the Grateful Dead had with psychedelic drugs and the creative surge he experienced would prove influential on their collective outlook. Around this time, Hunter was briefly involved with Scientology and also struggled with addiction to meth and speed, which drove him to move briefly from LA to New Mexico. Um, so there you go, man. I mean, that just that right there. He was Stanford, Stan, the Stanford prison experiments and yes, yeah. all of these big institutions like Stanford and the universities and psychiatric hospitals. I believe just, in Harvard, if you look at Harvard, they did similar oh, yeah. things, but with Ted Kaczynski. Yes, yeah. Timothy Leary was there at Harvard. Yeah. And yeah, Kaczynski was part of uh, acid or maybe not acid, but definitely like behavioral. I think it was. I, or, I believe it was LSD. Yeah, it could have been. I'd have to dig into that again. But yeah, that's um, another one, too, where they're like, was there more than just one of those guys? Uh, that's a whole thing, too. Everything is weird. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, so just that, that that's just a little tidbit to give to people who yeah. haven't really looked uh, into this or have even heard of it. There's a lot of people who won't even have known that the dude from the Grateful Dead was part of CIA uh, LSD MK Ultra acid experiments. Or even uh, Blue Oyster Cult with the Process Church. And those oh, connections. Oh yeah, process church. I haven't. Yeah. Wow. It, so and then it, that mentioned Scientology. Um, and yep. L. Ron Hubbard was naval intelligence. Yeah. Um, and, and he got and, together with uh, uh with Ant, um 
Anton LaVey, I believe. LaVey. Uh, Church of Satan. Yeah, Church of Satan. And then uh, uh, Jack, uh, the guy that developed the rocket propulsion, uh, he was a practicing Satanist, but he was um, basically in charge of uh, the propulsion system for the rockets for NASA, Jack Parsons. They would all hang out, the three of them. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> Yeah, it's everything's connected, man. Wow. Yeah, it's an intersection of you know counterculture, intelligence, military intelligence, um, cults, media, yeah, music, um, yeah. music, and it's in in that world. It really is a small world. You know, a lot of people know each other and they're connected, yeah. and you know, people people That's think why you that. You gotta wonder: Are they, these people lucky? You know, when they say, "Oh, I got my lucky break. I got my record deal, or I got got cast in a movie." It's like, well, what is yeah. like? Who's organically actually lucky when it comes to that stuff, and who's being given it? Especially yeah. now, and there's no one with talent apparently, like with the arts. In my opinion, well, you know? we're in the TikTok generation now, where computer, just computer just, makes everything now. Yeah, just film your ass and shake your ass, and you'll get two million followers. Well, I was promised that, and I still, I only have like twenty right now. So, got to get on that, man. No, I know. Better angle. Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> so what are you, uh, what are you working on uh, right now? Like, what's something that you're currently kind of enmeshed in, and uh, you know, obsessing over and thinking about before you go to bed? What are you, what are you looking at right now? Well, the next podcast guest. You know, I actually did reach out to Squeaky Squeaky Fromm. She has a book. Um, I'm actually reaching out to her for my buddy Chuck Coachelli, who produces my uh, Get Mad with Chris Graves show. Um, I think he'd be better suited because I think he actually talked to Charles Manson on the phone when he was in prison at one point. So he knows a lot more about that. That The whole Charles Manson thing, to be honest, flat out honest with you, like, he, it was kind of boring to me, the helter-skelter thing. Like, I, I gravitated towards, like, JFK assassination or, like I said, Kurt Cobain uh, death. You know, things like that. Um, what I'm working on right now is, well, I've written a couple of horror screenplays. Uh, oh, that cool. I'd like to, uh, you know, try to get crowdsourcing for. Um, one's like a, a werewolf witch kind of thing. And the other one's kind of an environmental uh, horror, like a, a creep show, but but not like in, in terms of the go green stuff. It's just basically a, a flat out like uh, killer tomatoes or not. Well, you know, killer plants, you yeah. know, all stuff like just like fun, like grindhouse kind of like, oh, that did they really put that on film? That kind of thing, you know, but in terms of uh, this stuff, um what I like to do is I like to mix it up between like a conspiracy conspiracy kind of thing or someone that is in a horror movie. Like uh, I, I, at this point I got quite a few people I've interviewed now for that are affiliated with the Friday, the 13th series and things like that. Um, you know, that's kind of like the other side of the coin. That's the stuff I want to do is, you know, make movies and, you know, make music and things like that. Um, but yeah, I might, someone was telling me I should do like a Kurt Cobain book, but there's like so many already that I don't really know what the angle would be that would make mine any different. And I just, I don't want to put out something that's like, oh, well, this is, you know, we already had this with the other books or whatever. So I'm trying to figure that angle out, but 
not really pushing that one too much. Just concentrating on, uh, I, I do another show that kind of goes, it goes to Twitter first. It's like a live stream kind of thing. But then I have a friend uh, named Six. He puts it on all of his platforms because uh, he's got a podcast on New Prisoners that I'm on actually every week. So he has a whole bunch of things like Spotify and Odyssey and Rumble. So uh, luckily I have uh, good people in my life you know, nowadays. Um, and it's all digital. So, I mean, I, you know, go figure. You know, I didn't think you could make friends after a certain age. But, uh, <laughs> I've heard that before too, but uh, it, you know, because of the horrors of the world, and that like-minded people are are either awake or they're waking up. You know, we have to come together um, because yeah. doing this alone is it, too dark. You know, it, it it does get very dark. Yeah, I'm big into movies too. Um, are you a fan of trauma trauma movies? I'm trying to get Uncle Lloyd on my show. Okay, well, I'm trying I gotta... to get. I almost had Kevin Smith on there. I used to do interviews for him years ago. I, I actually, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the movie Clerks. Oh yeah. I just had uh, Brian O'Halloran who played Dante. I had sure. him on Get, Get Mad uh, a couple weeks ago, about a month yeah. ago. Yeah. But yeah. So when did you get into trauma? You know. So uh, I don't know if you can see it here. So there's me dressed as Donald Trump and oh Lloyd Kaufman. And yeah, it's Uncle Lloyd. Yeah, Uncle Lloyd, and I starred as Donald Trump in a trauma movie in the latest one, Shakespeare's Shitstorm. <laughs> and uh, I do, um, I do some, I do some acting and comedy, and, and like the thing I'm known for the most is my Donald Trump impression. Um, so I'll play, I'll play this little clip here of me and Lloyd in front of the White House. Let me just say what a thrill it is to have an American hero in the White House today. Mr. Prosperio, Prospect Park, Rossboro, you're a great guy. So great. Wow. Honestly, so high. It's so impressive. <laughs> Let me just say, what a... How... <laughs> what is it like to work with that Lord Coffin? Seriously. He's awesome, man. He's, he's, a, he's a sweetheart. And he's, he's mellowed out with old age. I mean, he's almost 80 now. Yeah. Um, but um, he started with Oliver Stone, I believe, right? Like, yeah, right? him and yeah. Oliver Stone were buddies. They went to Yale together, and uh, yeah. I had—I actually I had I had uh, Lloyd on Jackman Radio last year or the year before, and he's like, "Oh, we Lloyd's like we went our own ways," and uh, I'm still doing my movies. I mean, he's doing his movies, but now Oliver Stone is busy going to Russia, kissing the ass of Putin. Venezuela, <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although I, I do, I, I enjoy Oliver Stone's uh, dictator movies for sure. Oh but, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, so and, the, and and Lloyd, I, he was in Rocky. People yes. don't remember that the very was, first scene. He or, was, or after um, the, the yeah, fight. He, he was in it, and he uh, I think he was a production assistant or script supervisor or something. Yeah, I wanted to interview him and just talk about the Oliver Stone and uh, and Rocky connections. You know, I figured that yeah. would be something that he, he didn't get to talk to, about too much over the years. But yeah, so Lloyd, yeah. the way I know Lloyd, um, my one of my best friends from college, uh, he works in uh, the film industry and he started at Troma right out of college as wow. like entry level Lloyd's assistant. He moved, we went to school here um, in New Hampshire. And after we graduated college in 09, he moved right to New York city and wow. got the job with Troma as Lloyd's assistant. So he started ground floor. Well, he's in and, good company though. I mean, like you got Trey oh, Parker and Matt Stone. Well, not maybe not the both of them. I think uh Trey Parker at least, right? With Cannibal. 
the, the musical. Cannibal the musical. Yep. Troma, yeah. Troma, um, well, produced that or put it out. You know, the Guardians of the Galaxy. What's the James Gunn? That's right. Yeah. Troma. Yeah, James Gunn. Yeah. Tro no, Lloyd, man. A lot of people who are now big came up through Lloyd and he kind of gave them their start. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, my friend um, started, you know, entry level with Troma, worked his way up. And now uh, he's producing movies in Serbia and he works for, uh, he does stuff with Shudder. Oh, uh, yeah. Shutter. I've been trying to get uh, people from them on my podcast to talk about the distribution and things. Yeah, so he's yep he's he's pretty big in the horror film world, and um, I knew they were filming this movie in New York, and I always wanted to be in a trauma movie. My yeah. my twin brother had a cameo in Newcom High, um, Newcomb High. The, the last one they did. He played a reporter in that one, and then what was the whole title, Eric, of uh, the last Newcom High? Because it was ridiculous, wasn't it? Um, the return to Newcom High, like Volume Two, aka the Return to Yeah, like, Return Return to Newcom High. Yeah. No, but it was like a whole like paragraph was like the whole yeah. title. I loved it. Yeah, and my brother was in. I don't know if he was in part one or two, um, <laughs> but um, so he got to do that, and my Trump impression kind of took off for me and blew up for me in like 2015, 2016, oh, um, yeah. because uh, Trump himself saw me at one of his rallies. And, you know, I, I went to troll at Trump's rallies. I just went. Um, so you, you met know, the man at all? So oh, yeah. You... I've met, I met oh, Trump wow. a few times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to try and get the clip for you. My brother was in Return to Nukem High Part 2 with Lemmy. Lemmy. Lemmy was in it, too. I got, um, to, I got to meet him at the Rainbow Room in uh, California. Rest oh, of really? Yeah. That's awesome. What exactly, if you don't want me asking, does he have like five boobs like he's wearing right here? Yeah, there's um, because <laughs> I've met people like that before, but I think it's, it reminds me of um, uh, the, the Arnold movie there. Um, oh, Total Recall, Total Recall, yeah, the woman with the three boobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lloyd had some funny prosthetics on, he had like an arm coming out here, and then it's we can't see it here, but he had some uh, other graphic stuff down here, you oh. know, just the king of uh, which gross, thank you. gross out and schlock. Um, <laughs> Love but, uh, yeah so let me get this other video but so anyways my my buddy long story short he produced shakespeare shitstorm and <laughs> you know i said dude is there any kind of opening where it could be a cameo from trump because the movie's political it's it's a um play on shakespeare's tempest yeah and uh have you seen shitstorm i have i actually the last few years have been kind of rough so i i'm gonna seek it out now for sure the last, the last few years have been a shit storm for sure um right, so right. I, I i filmed this cameo in like i think september of 2018 okay. and the movie had its big premiere in new york last april so i got to go to the premiere at the museum of moving image in uh, queens in new york oh really and i got to see this movie on a you know giant movie theater screen with 200 people at a premiere which was a really cool experience that was really oh, really man. like a surreal thing to be there and watch that and i'm like oh my god there i am on a giant movie screen as trump well, you know what you should cherish that i'm not saying I, you don't I, I but do. you know why because we there might come a day and i thought during the lockdowns and everything that we weren't going to have movie theaters at all anymore yeah you know that's a big thing big screen and everything that's something i i have always wanted to do yeah yeah, so I, I do, man. It was definitely That's awesome. <laughs> definitely, definitely a surreal experience. Um, do you still act? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 open to act, and I, I haven't. Uh, I got a few last... scripts I'd like to uh, get done before I expire. 
I hear you. So the thing, the big thing that I'm known for, uh, or that like I've got a lot of press for and done like insane stuff with was, is my Trump impression. So I'll show you the, vid the video here and, uh, yeah, we can screen that. This, so th this is at a rally, uh, the night before the New Hampshire primary in February of 2016. Okay. You show you how many people are actually at my rallies. The media's are dirty, rotten liars. I'm challenging Jimmy Fallon to a Trump duel on a Tonight Show. I'm going to beat him. His, his Trump is a disaster, and I can do very well. I love my fans, and we can't win without you. We need you. Tomorrow's going to be a huge victory. Oh, no. Look at this guy back there. Look at this guy. <laughs> Believe it or not, this is... Uh, do I look like that? Please tell me I don't. <laughs> you know... We've got all these Trump impersonators. Please don't let, get up here. Let me see. Believe me, I've never seen this. I've never seen this. Come on up here. Oh no! Tell me this isn't Trump. Look at this guy, <laughs> Melania. Would you have married this guy? I don't know. <laughs> Look at that. That's. That's great. Congratulations, man. I hope you're making a lot of money. Okay, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, that was... Sing a Melania comment. <laughs> oh, Melania, would you marry this guy? I don't know. Oh, oh look, look at look at this. Basically saying, look at that fat fuck, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, man. You, uh, you, you, you looks like you took it well. <laughs> oh, that, that was a surreal moment, man. There was like 5,000 people there. Oh, and um, so yeah. I was like going to his events just to have fun, just to get a rise, a response from people. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't about being pro or anti-Trump. It was basically just performance art. It's just stunt comedy yeah. and art. And and I just, you know, I the, my brother and I have done impressions our whole lives. And Trump was one we had done for a while. And then when he actually was seriously running for president, my friends were like, dude, you need to get a whole Trump character because yeah. your impression your impression's pretty good. So if you get like a wig and like an ill-fitting suit and paint your face, <laughs> I think, I think it would be yeah. hilarious. Now, so. would, you, would you be willing to take the beard off if uh, he really is going to run? Like he, apparently, what people think, you know. Oh yeah, no, he's he's running again, and yeah. uh, oh, I'm totally for hire, man. I have a uh, <laughs> I have a professional website. Um, I offer my services. So I, so after that moment, so a t-shirt company paid me to be there uh, to advertise their t-shirt in wow. character, just to get noticed and get it on the press and yeah. hand out samples of the shirt. So I didn't expect Trump would actually see me or like point. Me out. <laughs> yeah. So that happened. And he was like, Hey man, congratulations. I hope you make a lot of money doing this. And so when he said that, like a bell went off in my head, I'm like, I'm already being paid to be here now. And then right. the actual Trump said, Hey, congratulations. I hope you make money doing this. So and I'm like, captured I it on video too. <laughs> yeah. I went all in on becoming a professional Donald Trump impersonator and I've been doing it seven, six, seven years. Wow. And it's opened a lot of doors and I've had some crazy gigs and experiences because yeah. of the, tr the Trump. So it's, uh, it's just that, that mixture of pop culture and politics and just surrealism all coming together. Yeah, no, I uh, I could feel it for you, like through you out there in the footage and everything. Where I'd be like, "Oh my god, did he just point at me? This was kind of a joke." And <laughs> wow, you just asked Melania, of you. <laughs> oh man, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, the Trump the Trump thing is is it's a lot of fun. I mean, he's he's running again, and uh, I just I, I can't believe how many people he just lives rent free in so many people's heads. Yes. Yeah. You know, I was I never for or against. I I kind of put once he became a candidate, he was like with like Obama was like Bush. Like I'm not on either side, and I full disclosure, I think they're all the same. That's yeah, just you just sat it. back and enjoyed the show. Yeah, like George Carlin, who I got to meet. Um, oh, you did before, right before? Yeah, no a year way. before he passed away. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to get Kelly, uh, his daughter, uh, to come on my podcast too. I just we haven't been able to make the schedules work. But, oh, yeah. well, so tell me that story. Where'd you meet him? What was that like? Well, it was actually in Cohasset uh, at the Music Circus. Um, it's like sure. one of these uh, outdoor, or like it was like a tent kind of thing. Uh, they have another one, the same company called uh, the uh, Melody Tent in Hyannis, I think. Um, yeah, no, just he was doing a show, and it was 2007. Um, I think it was almost just about a year before that, and uh, it was just after the show. It was just like, oh, how you doing? I wish I had, like, a camera at the time. That's the only thing that kind of sucks about the whole thing, you know? Um, yeah, cause, you know, and there's no getting a picture now, you know, just what's in my head, yeah. so. Yeah, he had his uh, ashes scattered at Lake Spofford, not far from where I live up here in New Hampshire. Did he really? Yep. Oh, wow. I remember he used to make a joke about how uh, he always wanted to have his corpse just drop from a helicopter into like a field with the families having a cookout of a picnic and stuff. <laughs> I love him. Like, I love you, George. <laughs> I wanted to get like the George Carlin. I wanted to get a shirt that made the what would George Carlin do with like the question mark and everything. Yeah. So I get yelled at by, uh, you know, religious folks. But hey, oh, he, that was he, his stance, you know. <laughs> man, he just had a way of saying it and putting it out there. Uh, and I, I would imagine you're probably. It's a big glow and you ain't in it. <laughs> you ain't in it. And oh. also, my, my brother and I always remind each other that some of the last big specials he had, the whole set was a fucking graveyard. Yeah. And it was dark. It's fucking dark. You know, the special that he was doing, no, really the special he was doing right. Like literally it was, I think it was a couple of days or maybe a week before nine 11 was called. There's uh, I, I hope and pray. Uh, I'm paraphrasing or I'm totally screwing it up. It was something like I'm praying for all the burning bodies to come out of the sky and stuff. And then 9-11 happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That now it's it pretty eerie. Uh, no, no, yeah, I think, he, yeah, he had a bit, maybe it might have been about either attacks or natural disasters where he There's just... something about bodies falling out He of wants maximum amount of death and carnage to occur. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, hey, I got a dark sense of humor, so well, I can look hey, back and laugh look, about it now, but at, in those days, yeah, you didn't want to talk about that. You know, when, when tsunamis and, like, Katrina happens, you know, sometimes Mother Nature... Oh, no, tsunamis, uh, Gilbert Mother, Godfrey. Mother, Mother Nature gets a win. They get a couple, you know? Yeah, they do. You they know? do. God, or but, I was, yeah. my, my, my cousins were telling me about a volcano that erupted and like people fell in it and they died. And I'm like, dude, really? score five for the volcano. Yeah. You, you don't know? live next to a volcano. Dude, I mean, don't, go, don't go fuck around with an active volcano and think like something bad's not going to happen. If I'm going to go to, you know, go use the facilities or the bathroom or whatever, you know, uh, on the side of the road. And it just happens that there's a volcano right there and I fall in, make yeah. as many jokes as you want, please. You know? <laughs> I yeah. would. <laughs> Carlin's great. You know, really yeah. one of the only modern day comedians. He's my favorite comedian currently uh, who even holds a flame to Carlin, in my opinion, is Tim Dillon. Oh, are you kidding me? He is awesome. You like oh, Tim? 
I love Jim Dillon. Yeah, I've been trying to get oh. my, my friend Don, the author, I'm trying to get him like on Tim's show, but Tim doesn't really interview people like too much. He did in the beginning, I think, when it was called Tim Dillon's Going to Hell, I think it was. Yeah, when, he was, at, when he was at Gas Digital. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he so he had on uh, that the CIA guy I talked to you about who I they become buddies with, uh, John Cariaco. He yeah, had him on. We have to go back to that too after because I cut you off about that. Oh, yeah, no, that's fine. He had him on, and then he had on another guy who my brother and I had on, Russ Baker, who wrote Family Secrets about the Bush family, the Bush being in Dealey Plaza and all that. Yeah. Well, yeah, just the, the there's the a picture of yeah. I remember the guy that. looks like him, but even deep beyond that, like the family's business oh, dealings yeah. and that Poppy Bush was lifetime CIA and um. So when when the first time I ever heard of Tim Dillon was, I think probably his first appearance on Rogan. Yep. And he had a copy of that book and he had, he showed it to Rogan. You want to get Joe back into conspiracies? And yeah, and I looked at my brother. I'm like, Jesus, man, this guy's hilarious. He's funny. He's, uh, you know, he knows uh, some stuff. He knows, <laughs> he knows his shit. And he's got stuff. Russ Baker's book on Rogan's podcast. I I need to find out more about this guy. And he's so talking was, about the Franklin scandal too. Like, oh, I'm talking about said. Franklin? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, whoa. Dude, yeah. And you and clearly all that stuff informs Tim's comedy and his oh, yeah. outlook. So I, I would think that you know we probably have a very similar outlook at the world and, and the the comedy to deal with with the darkness. But uh, yeah. I've seen Tim live now three or four times, and he's just he's awesome. Yeah, I haven't had the pleasure yet. I mean, uh, him and like Doug Stanhope is another one, that I, and Bill Hicks. Like, I loved Bill Hicks too. Yep, Stanhope's awesome. Um, I had Mark. Oh, so dark. With his mother and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a common thread, you know, these guys, the darkness and uh, Tim Dillon's mother's schizophrenic and she lives in a home. He makes he, fun of her. He riffs on my mother who during COVID didn't even realize that her roommate had died. <laughs> and then after she died and they took the body out, my mom's like, put on Tucker. <laughs> and then Rogan's like, oh, my. <laughs> oh, he's like, holy shit, man. Yeah. yeah he's not afraid. Oh. No, it's it's, got balls. <laughs> it's it's so good, man. Well, that uh, we're coming up on an hour here, Chris. So um, if you yeah, want to just tell you, uh, I kept your... No, no, yeah, was, this is a great conversation, man. I definitely want to have you on again. And uh, yeah, just tell people uh, where they can find you and, and how they can support you. Well, uh, I have a PayPal and a Cash App thing, and uh, I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Uh, so that doesn't help. But uh, you can find me at... Uh, Actually, no, I have a link tree. Uh, a good friend of mine just put together for me. It's on my Twitter page. Um, uh, it's at C Graves Mask Guy, M A S S G U Y. Um, I used to have it as uh, a different name before I had podcasts. It was C Graves Mass, you know, a swear word. So I figured if I'm going to try to get guests, maybe I shouldn't have a curse like right in my uh, name. So yeah, Seagraves Mask Guy at Twitter. I was shadow banned uh, for a while. And then David Knight, of all people, actually gave me a couple of shout outs um, and Tony Arterburn and all them. So yeah, uh, yeah, Get Mad with Chris Graves. Uh, that's on Ocelli.com. And that's going to start Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays coming up uh, February 6th, I think. And I do digging Chris Graves. Uh, on uh, live stream right on my Twitter page. And then the replays are on uh, the new prisoners, the TNP, uh, their platform. So it's all on my link tree. So 
Cool. Yeah. And, and I, folks, I put Chris's link tree in the description oh, of this you. video. So I got that, that in there too. Thank you. Well, that is awesome. Well, awesome, man. Yeah. Well, keep, keep doing, uh, you know, what you're doing and I, you know, I appreciate your work and find, uh, I'm gonna look into you yours know, too. Like, about, that, that, yeah, that made me laugh in the trauma. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. I try to, like I said, I try to have balance with all this stuff. You know, you don't want to, yeah. you don't want to get, get uh bogged down with just the conspiracy stuff and the darkness no, <laughs> you want to you want to you want to balance it out with gay frogs and uh, oh, the gay frogs had the documents taking taking some nice summer trips to bohemian grove with henry kissinger and coconut bras oh you wow know? yeah you have yeah. him down too <laughs> oh yeah yeah my brother does it even better i'll next time we have you on my we'll have my, my brother and uh he's he's we do all kinds of bits he does lindsey graham we do uh we do jesse ventura i was a yeah. navy seal chris i was okay. a navy seal. when 9 11 happened i went into i went into military mode okay yeah. I, I got out my 50 cal and i hunkered down and i frog i frogged <laughs> down from from on top of the governor's mansion with a 50 cal can you say I ain't got time to bleed? I ain't got time to bleed. I ain't got time to bleed. I see they're all the same. I don't I ain't got time to bleed. I, I, I had Ventura on the show a couple times. He's a he's a really? trip. Yeah, he's he's a cool guy. I got to interview him in person in uh, New York City. So, uh, so on one weekend, I interviewed Jesse Ventura, and then the next day, I went to David Icke's ten hour in person. And they had a fight on his show. Too. They did, yeah, yeah. Show me the lizard people. Show them to me, David. I remember like the cross section. Yeah, and then uh, Ike's like, "Mate, it don't work that way, mate. It don't, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta read me four hundred page book, mate. Show me the lizard, David. Show him to me. I want to take a chair to the lizard's forehead." But, um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 all incredible, man. Well, cool. Well, hang out with me after uh, yeah, I, yeah. I end this broadcast. But, folks, thanks for tuning in. That's Chris Graves. He's a he's an interesting guy, and uh, <laughs> glad we could get him on. And I hope you enjoyed this chat. And please consider becoming a patron of Jackman Radio. Patreon.com/slash Jackman Radio. Five dollars, ten bucks a month is the best way to support Mike and I. Keep growing the channel and doing interviews and traveling and buying equipment and hiring film crews. It all costs a lot of money. And, uh, you know, we need the money to do that. And we want to do great work. We will, we'll take Russian money. We'll take gold bullion. We'll take shit coin, light coin, pot coin from Dennis Rodman. Okay. If he's got it, but thanks for tuning in and we will be back again soon. Have a good night and take care.